Welcome to the Circle Stories podcast. In this podcast, we aim to explore the stories within, between, and around the various circles we inhabit in our lives. Uh, my guest today is Reed Carpenter. Um, Reed is a member of my Circle of Mercy community. That's how I got to know her. And um, joining me from Warren Wilson campus or thereabouts. Is that right? Yes, indeed. And you're in your third year? I am. And you're studying? Biochemistry is my major. That's right. Okay. I knew that. <laughs> so how is, so, oh, wow. How far back should we go? In the spring, you first learned of, of COVID when? When did it really come on your radar? Um, I think that the first time I really thought about it was in the middle of spring break. I went home for spring break in the beginning, first week of March, and I went to the DMV in Nashville to get my driver's permit because mm-hmm. I, um, my old one had expired. <laughs> and I remember kind of joking about like the DMV being a like dirty place because it was like crowded and there were tons of people and I was there for like three and a half hours (laughs) just like sitting in this like very small enclosed space with people Um, so I I had heard of it before then I guess but that was the first time that I can remember like thinking about it and being like and I kind of joked about like carrying hand sanitizer with me because I'm not I'm not that much of like I don't know like I just don't mind being like dirty I'm not like stupid going like germs um so it was like I kind of joked about bringing hand sanitizer with me yeah, the DMV can be kind of um, crowded at the best of times, but uh, yeah. during COVID, yeah, can't even imagine. So did you end up coming back then from spring break or did you just stay at home? So you came back to campus? I did. Okay. Yeah, we came back to camp. I came back to campus on a Sunday and then that Thursday, that following Thursday, school moved all online, but okay. campus hadn't closed yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I left and went up to Pennsylvania, actually, with some friends for, I was planning to be up there for just a week and then come back to campus and go home, maybe, or something else. And while we were up there, we got the notification that campus had closed. And so we left there early and drove back down and moved out of campus the next day. Got your stuff and moved back to Nashville, huh? Yeah. Wow. How was that? You didn't get to, you didn't get to finish your your year out except online is that right yes that's correct it was okay it definitely was like I don't know for me personally I feel like it wasn't that too too bad I I did okay in my online classes I dropped one of my classes um which is good uh and then my other ones I finished all right I had a couple friends who graduated this past semester and that was kind of a bummer to yeah not be able to send them off properly and not to be able to celebrate with them but right yeah. Uh, it would seem to me, um, being a, a, a bio major, that we have labs, and you can't do labs remotely. <laughs> I mean, how how do you how did that work? Um, yeah, we just didn't have organic chemistry labs. I don't know. They they just kind of disappeared. We used that like period of time, those like blocks of time for worksheets, like working mm-hmm. through stuff with other classmates. Um, Okay. So we made use of the time, but yeah, we definitely missed out on a good number of yeah labs that we would have done otherwise. And right. yeah, I'm not sure this year what 
I know some of my classes will be partially online, but that's definitely a non-negotiable. <laughs> Three of my classes are lab courses, so I'll need to be in the lab sometime. Yeah. I, yeah. I was thinking about that. It's like you can't really shut down lab courses because... Yeah. You know, so what three classes are you taking that are labs? I'm in organic chemistry two and biochemistry one and instrumental methods or analytical chemistry. Yeah. Okay. Fun times. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Good. It sounds like a lot, but I'm looking forward to it. Have it has it actually started yet or have you been just helping the, the freshmen orientate so far? Yes, I've just been here for freshman orientation. I was here for a couple of days of training um, before that, and then some move-in days, and now we're in the thick of orientation, and then classes start Monday. In the midst of COVID, as if that wasn't bad enough, <laughs> we, um, we had the George Floyd incident and then a couple others after that. How did that impact you, and what did you, what did you do with that this summer? It's kind of a broad question, but. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, oh, well, let's see. I guess most of my involvement with stuff that happened this summer was uh, a friend of mine I, who I went to high school with texted me and asked why more of our high school classmates weren't saying more. Um, and I said, I don't know. I guess maybe I'm one of them who's <laughs> not saying enough. Mm -hmm. um, I went to a private Christian school in Nairobi, Kenya, that was started by the Mennonites in the early 1900s, question mark, <laughs> mm -hmm. and, um, and is now run now and yeah, is now run by the Mennonites, the Assemblies of God and the Southern Baptists. Yeah, so a pretty conservative Christian place and uh, deeply, deeply colonial. Okay. And, um, and so yeah, we were wondering why more of us white missionary kids weren't talking about more things and why we hadn't yet talked about it. Yeah. So my friend Nora and I wrote a letter and got that posted like on our social medias and then also posted on our alumni page that is run by the school, run by a, a staff member of the school. Uh, and they eventually let that through. Uh, yeah. And that kind of started my, like my involvement with, um, yeah, with my high school uh, grew into a big, Facebook page of a tons of alumni uh, run by us, by other alumni, and place to share experiences. And that's what characterized, I guess, a lot of my, a lot of June, I feel like for me was, was really like reading and paying attention to what people were posting on that Facebook page. A lot of the Black, Black students and, both, and students of color um, posting stories, really horrendous and heart-wrenching stories about their time at Roslyn, specific teachers and other classmates and all kinds of stuff. And it was really, yeah, really hard to read and hear, I think, for, for a lot of us and definitely for, yeah, a lot of us, <laughs> mostly white kids who had a really, really good high school experience. So it's been a lot of June <laughs> participating in those conversations and trying to uh, figure out how to like how to sustainably build a movement online through Facebook, sure. um, which I'm not sure has been figured out yet. I stepped back from a lot of, or we, I didn't necessarily step back. A lot of uh, work was intentionally, yeah, leadership was given to uh, alumni of color to, to really be 
directed and do what we needed to do under their direction. But How many um, white students versus persons of color were in the school when you were there? We were, if this isn't a perfect statistic for, for that specific question, but we, when I was there, it was about 40, the student population was like K through 12, about 700 kids. So about 40% American and Canadian. Okay. So I guess there are some Europeans in there who would be white, but um, yeah, about 40% American Canadian. And then the other big percentages are uh, Kenyans, Indians, um, or Kenyan Indians as well, um, Korean, and then yeah, a smattering of other other folks and some Europeans. Yeah, so that's one of the reasons that, uh, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how the numbers are for what the practicing religion was of those students, but that another thing that was we are realizing, I guess, is tied in pretty closely to that is people, the numbers of students who are practicing Christianity and the numbers that are not, mm-hmm. uh, and how folks that don't practice Christianity are not treated well or with respect. From where you lived to where you went to school, how far was that? I think it was about six miles. As the crow flies, it took us anywhere between 20 and an hour, 20 minutes and an hour and a half, depending on the day. Okay. Um, yeah. And what we did took you? Mostly the bus. Yeah. The, oh, you or did, the school bus. The school bus. Okay. So they had the school buses coming around. So that trip, what did you encounter, you know, between your home and school in terms of what you saw and the living conditions and. Did you drive through some rough, poor neighborhoods, or was it the upper end of town? Or yeah, we lived in a we lived in a part of town that is a lot of expats, um, but many other African expats. So um, our apartment complex had many Somalians in it, as well as some Indian families, um, and so the yeah the surrounding neighborhood was. Um, wealthier middle-class Kenyans or um, other African expats mostly, um, as well as some American expats. Uh, and then my school is in the part of town that's very close to the American embassy, as well as the UN compound, and pretty close to the other international, one of the other big international schools, uh, the IB International School. And so that was a pretty a pretty wealthy part of town, or just like kind of a like weirdly like <laughs> uh, center or hub of like yeah expat community. And yeah, I'm trying to think driving through. We did not drive. Right? There were definitely like along the outskirts of town, definitely poor neighborhoods, um, poor parts of town. What I'm getting <laughs> at is just that were you exposed to it every day and kind of didn't see it or? Were you kind of, did you feel kind of isolated in your own little um, expat bubble and that kind of thing? I think probably both. (laughs) We, um, yeah, almost all, especially for me, almost all of my interactions and friendship came from my school, came from, and large, and for me specifically, largely other um, white MK kids (laughs) for uh, many staff kids as well. But yeah, I think that Nairobi is a, like a lot of Western, a lot of uh, cities in the U.S. in the way that like the, like regardless of whether or not we like encounter poverty like face to face, we see, we see it mm-hmm. and like, and know that it's there. And yeah, there's a, it's a, a really big wealth gap. So yeah, we did, I mean, like I 
very rarely in slums, I guess. And You're right. That's, that's true in our cities as well. You can go six miles without seeing a whole lot of poverty or you can drive through that area and, and it's, it's prevalent. So, yeah, it, it kind of just depends on your route that you take. Yeah. Through the yeah. city. It's very much dependent on that. Do you feel like the discussion as it went on ended in a good place when the students, when the alumni of color kind of took over the, the discussion? Do you think it that was a good thing? Yeah, I think that it was like when that we first started the Facebook page and a couple of, I mean, my friend and I posted a letter and a few other people did as well. Um, when that first happened, there was a, like, there was a huge outpouring of storytelling and like, you could really tell that people have been waiting or people have been needing a place to really just share stories and kind of come out with it. I don't know. Lots of people said, I spent years not thinking about this because I didn't want to, or I spent years thinking I was the only one. Mm. And so I, th- I think the, the organization now is moving towards a more like sustainable effort <laughs> to be, to be pretty well organized in what we're actually wanting to change and combat. And so yeah, working on there's working on creating a board of people and different leadership roles, uh, and so working really hard to make sure that it can continue to move forward. I think another thing that happened is like when we first started, we were all like, you know, it was still June, we were still all like not doing anything. <laughs> I think like all of us were still very much at home, not doing a lot, and so yeah. we're. I know I felt that in myself and like and saw it online too, saw it sort of start to decrease as people return to their normal lives. So yeah, I think it's a good thing. I think that we now have an, a, a, the piece that I'm more involved with now is in a white caucusing group. So making sure that us like white alumni are having our own conversations and talking with one another and working through our own things uh, without burdening alumni of color and also making sure that we are a body that can do the bidding of alumni of color when we need to and showing up in the spaces that don't need to be like, yeah, showing up in the spaces where alumni of color don't need to be defending themselves. So yeah, we'll see as interesting as, as it continues moving forward. I definitely had like recognized in myself, like my desire to be to like what I felt as like my desire to like do good things and like, do good work was also a desire to like have control, which ah. I needed to not let get in charge of me. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. So yeah, I, I yeah remember feeling that, and but that's yeah, I have but... to remember over and over again that it's not my yeah it's not my movement all the time, and also like not my job to be organizing everybody all the time. <laughs> sure, um, but at the same time, I I know personally too. Um, you know, I had to learn the difference between not being a racist, being an ally, and being an anti-racist. It's a continuum. It's it's a growth for me of of that. And I'm both glad and sorry that you have to do it at such a young age. But I, I think that's a good thing. I wish I had done that kind of work a lot earlier than I am now. But I think this whole movement is is helping some of us face those those issues. So at the same time you were doing this kind of remotely with your high school group and alumni, what was going on in Nashville at the time? Um, we, yeah, I didn't, I actually did not end up participating a ton in stuff with stuff in Nashville. We, there was a couple, like a group of five or six teenage girls that planned the first really big 
march in Nashville. My family and I participated in that uh, as well. Uh, yeah, I think that we were, yeah, it's, it's, I was talking to a friend just the other day about how like COVID has made us like really think has become for me like another currency in which I like think about my like what I care about mm-hmm. <laughs> like money is you know like right. I spend my money here and I don't spend it here or like wow I'm really spending a lot of money in doing this thing and not a lot <laughs> doing this thing like maybe that should change if I have money to give here Maybe I should, you know, and so I think like COVID for me has become a little bit that way. And I think at home, there was a lot of, for me, a lot of care and taking care of my family and my, and my parents who were not 21, (laughs) like I am. And so, yeah, yeah. So we were doing that and, and really taking part in church stuff. There was a, for a couple of weeks, we did our uh, peaceful at home protests in the churchyard, which was a good time held signs up in the churchyard for an hour on Thursday evening and um, listened to people honk and wave at us or we got flipped off one time, but only once sure. that I was there for. <laughs> is, uh, is that Glendale? Yes. Glendale yeah. Baptist? Okay. Yeah. And it's on a, it's on a, I'm guessing a busy street then I've never been, but. Yeah. We're on, I guess maybe kind of a busy street on our, and we have a bit like a really big lawn uh, leading up to the street. So we stood right by our, church sign and yeah held signs out and that was a fun way to one socially distance gather (laughs) with one another that was fun for me I think to to really show up and be like we are Baptists (laughs) is is there a place downtown there that activities are still going on daily or has it there is yeah I was just reading about it today they're going on like days 62 or something crazy of people being there, being on the Capitol every mm. day. Okay. Uh, and just last night, I think like 15 or so folks um, handcuffed themselves to the Capitol building. Wow. Um, okay. And I think all of them got arrested last night and have all been released by this morning, but or this afternoon maybe. So yeah, I'm, it's, it's a little bittersweet to watch that happening from afar, but it's cool to see like how we're using social media to really like amplify that mm-hmm. kind of movement and people doing that. I just think about how like previously or in, you know, even 15 years ago, like that kind of thing wouldn't have been known nearly as much if we didn't all have such immediate access to photos or yeah. other kinds of information. Well, someone's usually streaming it, Facebook streaming it. Live yeah. Or something. I mean, yeah. It's- I mean, even if you're out there, you can be kind of right there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've driven downtown Asheville, but there's still people at Vance Monument every night that I've oh. driven by. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah and usually it's, it's 10 or, or so, but they're, yeah. they're still showing up and they're still, um, they're still out there. Which is, and, and if you haven't seen it yet, they've covered Vance Monument with like a shroud and like scaffolding and stuff. So. Yeah, I was down there on... I, I went on uh, Sunday night for a kind of the peaceful march through downtown. Oh, okay. Um, and, and saw fans for the first time. Okay. I didn't realize that there were folks still out there, though. Who organized that one? I didn't hear about that one. There are a couple. Um, I know about it through two of the two of the primary Black youth organizers are, okay. are Wilson students. Okay. So I know about it through them. And yeah, they have, have stopped for now. They they marched Saturday and six 
people were arrested. Two of them were Wilson students. And, and so then we marched Sunday in kind of protest of that. And I think, I think Sunday, everything was fine. They were out there till very, very late. I was not, but I think nobody got arrested maybe, but they have, were, they're kind of stopping a little bit for now because some of those black organizers are being targeted wow. uh, okay. and have been, yeah, named and found and targeted by some clan members wow. as well as some Blue Lives Matter folk. So oh, wow. okay. they're having to put on pause some of that, which is really, uh, it's pretty terrifying and like hard to know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Asheville's, it's interesting to hear like, yeah, mm. one of the chants that we did Sunday was Asheville is not hippie, it's gentrified. Hmm. It's, yeah, it's hard to hear that truth. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Asheville is struggling for as, um, woke and liberal as it seems to want to to call itself it's Asheville is still struggling so for sure yeah do you anticipate being able to be there the rest of the semester are kids wearing masks and stuff are are you guys complying with that pretty well it seems like people are doing pretty well so far yeah people have been pretty good I was I think kind of the only place that I've been a little anxious recently is uh when folks are eating not being socially distanced while you're eating and a lot of that happens outside anyways i feel like we're pretty lucky to have a lot of outdoor space to be using right right now um, which which is really really nice yeah i hope so it feels really really tenuous but i hope that people are aware of their environment and aware of the kind of like not consequences but like yeah how (laughs) very much our actions lead to certain events (laughs) like very clearly so i remember being in the third and fourth year and you're looking at these freshmen you're going oh my god was i ever that young seriously yeah (laughs) it really does feel like that (laughs) you're like oh my god yeah yeah i remember being i remember being a freshman i really do like i know that i was one time a freshman (laughs) and i know that i was like very little and confused and i'm still like Oh. And it's still really hard to believe that I've been here two years and then I'm yeah. still like little and confused <laughs> most <laughs> of the time. <laughs> oh, you better not. They're looking up to you, honey. They're, I know. They're all looking, you're the role model. <laughs> a little scary. <laughs> so if you're eating outside now, what do they have a plan for the winter when you can't eat outside? Um, I don't know. I mean, knowing my, knowing our campus, will people be eating outside? <laughs> anyway year-round as yeah as long as we're here because we're <laughs> leaving in we're leaving in november november 20th i think is our last day so okay so you're gonna go um, up through right before thanksgiving and then you'll be done and come back yes come yeah back and then we have like a we have a, a week-long thanksgiving break mm-hmm. and then all of our exams are online okay well i mean i'm keeping my fingers crossed that you'll be able to stay and uh, i've talked to other you know kids from other schools and they're just they don't know either nobody really knows what's going to happen so yeah let's take a break isn't this young person great reed and several of her generation give me hope and as we talk more i hope that will be your experience as well before we get to today's music I would like to sound the call for soloists, instrumentalists, and group ensembles alike. If you want to have some music featured on Circle Stories, drop me a line. 
If you know of someone who might want to submit music, please have them contact me. Today's selection for music is David Lamott's Home By Now. Enjoy. kid who left his home disappeared into the north woods and he died up there alone you were staring out the window as if your thoughts had wandered far then you ordered cappuccino and got back into your car keep the traffic moving there's nothing to see here Rubbernecking in the buffet line Where choices all seem far too clear So comfortable it's painful Can't feel it anyhow Hey, if you lived here You'd be home by now You'd be home by now They were sitting in the hot tub Of the cheap resort hotel they were tossed into the good life, but they didn't look too well. He said, this is why you work for 40 years to pay your dues. And she told me about his bypass, how he's careful with his food. Keep the traffic moving, nothing to see here. Rubbernecking in the buffet line where choices all seem far too clear So comfortable it's painful, can't feel it anyhow Hey, if you lived here you'd be home by now You'd be home by now Pay your money, take your choice your vision, lose your voice Tell the story with a sigh Of a thousand roads not taken Caught you glancing in that window Driving past that pretty house was a family in the dining room Forks halfway to their mouths Makes you want to pass your plate back And have a little more But you left that table years ago The key won't fit the door Keep the traffic moving Nothing to see here Rubbernecking in the buffet line Where choices all seem far too so comfortable, it's painful Can't feel it anyhow Hey, if you lived here You'd be home by now You'd be home by now You'd be home by now Do you think your family um, did okay during the quarantine and isolation? I think I, I texted you once or twice and asked if you guys were all okay, but did yeah. your family handle it okay? Yeah, I think we did okay. We, um, 
Yeah, I think we mostly really enjoyed it, actually. My dad, for the last two years, has been working a job out of Atlanta mm-hmm. that requires a lot of, or that involves a lot of international travel, um, as well as him being in Atlanta most of the time. So uh, that was, a, I think, a big release, actually, for him and for my, for my mom to have him home all of the time. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed being at home. And I got some time to, since I haven't spent long chunks of time at home since they moved into the, where they are now. And so I got to decorate my room and <laughs> make it mine. My brother built me shelves. Nice. And yeah, I think my brother probably was the grumpiest, but <laughs> he, um, but I think he did all right. He, um, since, uh, I mean, school was like not great for him. Mm-hmm. And he had to take AP tests online, and I don't know. It sounded really not fun. And is he he's a social distance. Uh, he has this year, yeah, junior. He's this year, so that was sophomore year that he had to finish. Okay. And what are they doing? Yeah, they're online this first month. I think at least through Labor Day, and then they'll decide. But I think it's highly unlikely that they will go back to school. So I think yeah, my all three of them are planning mostly on just being all online, all home for at least through December. Your dad so, hasn't, hasn't gone back to Atlanta to work? Or no, he has not. And they're, I mean, he's working for a public health organization. So they're being really, really right, conservative right. and they can do almost all of what they need to do online. And my mom also works for Vanderbilt University. And so she is not going back. She knows that she's not going back before January. Okay. So she has set herself up in my room, an un- office, <laughs> after kindly asking me. So. <laughs> but yeah, it's, they're doing well. I was a little sad to leave home, <laughs> knowing oh. that they were all still going to be there, yeah. just out, and I was leaving them. But <laughs> so they've probably realized, and I know I have, that there's a lot more that, that we can do online that we didn't think we could. I did a lot of traveling before this. Yeah. And while I'll probably still need to go back and do that eventually, once we get this figured out, I did realize that there was a lot more that I could do online than mm-hmm. uh, than I was. And so your dad and mom experienced that too. I know a lot of people did. Do you think we've seen a lot of the end of certain things, like a lot, a lot less travel and a lot less um, crowded office workers these days, <sighs> crowded office spaces? I mean, have we, are, are we going to not do that anymore, do you think? I don't know. That's such an interesting question. I mean, like, part of me, like, kind of hopes so. I hope we kind of figure out, like, what, especially for folks that, like, have been told that they can't work from home because of certain things, and they're like, well, I need to be home, and so on and so forth. I hope for those kinds of people, like, for those people in those situations, that a lot, the, like, automatic answer is a lot more often. Yeah, sure, of course. (laughs) Yeah. But, but yeah, all the, like, school stuff going online makes me think about, like, Sam's, my little brother's school handed out like 200 laptops, I think, and like almost that many Wi-Fi hotspots mm-hmm. for students to, to be able to do online. I don't know. It makes me think like more, it makes me think about like an even bigger disparity between like these jobs that we value a lot because they're like high-minded and jobs that we don't value as much because they're like essential work. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. It makes me think about that kind of thing. Like people that still won't be able to just haven't, you know, haven't spent their whole summer doing things online like we have. Yeah, it's amazing what we're calling what we're calling essential workers, and and we're also realizing, hey, 
we don't pay these essential workers a lot. Yeah. And yeah. if we're calling them essential workers, shouldn't they be getting, I think that has been a, a, a big awakening. Um, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I know. We keep talking. I mean, I don't know if we keep talking, but it, at the beginning, at least, we were all wanting to go back to normal. And mm-hmm. eventually, some of us decided that, hey, maybe if we don't go back to what was normal and we can create a new normal. Yeah. That might be a good thing. What do you? What else do you hope changes for for the better from this? Have you thought about it? I don't know. I have a lot of. I feel like I swing back and forth every day between feeling a lot of hope for what mm. we might be able to change, and also a lot of despair about the idea that I'm not sure we can like change what we need to change within the container that we built or that we were born into, or however you want to say it. So I, I think I've been thinking a lot about my friends, being in touch with my friends who don't live in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. But one of my best friends is in New Zealand. And I remember talking to her sometime in June or something wild like that. And she was like, yeah, we're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're fine. <laughs> and And a lot of that is just like, deciding to give people health care <laughs> wow. whether or not we yeah. think they deserve it and yeah, yeah or providing or yeah providing food security to people whether or not we think they deserve food right right I don't know so there's a lot of that that like I hope we or that quote I keep saying like let this radicalize you I hope I hope that happens I hope that we all like all of us let this time radicalize yeah. us and like re even even those of us even like me and even those of us who think we are radical or like have big plans like yeah this idea that our our dreams can always be bigger like it doesn't doesn't have to be the way it is um i think yeah. if you if you ask most americans um you know in in the uk when they closed down you could still get 80 percent of your income from the government so you weren't you know you'd have to cut back but you weren't right without you know right yeah and if if you ask a lot of people today you know do you do you support certain socialist programs they would say absolutely not and then if you ask them hey would you like 80 percent of your income yeah (laughs) while you can't work because of covid and they'd be going hmm that sounds pretty good so yeah these are the things that and and i i man that's a really great way to say it can we ch- make the changes we need to in the container that we have in the contain in the in the place that we're in because the temptation is going to be oh let's just go back to the, what what we had you know right, and, yeah and the forces at work the um marketing and all that that's going to be hitting us really hard like yeah hey remember when yeah you could do this and this and I'm wondering if some of us are going to go, yeah, but did we really need that? Did we really want that? Yeah. Or was it just something you told us that we needed and wanted? So I don't know. I'm hoping there's going to be some sort of change in our mentality. But again, yeah. can we do that in the vessel that we're in? That's a, in the container that we're in. That's a really good, it's a good way to put it. And do we need structural changes in order to make some of these things happen? That's a good point. Yeah. We talked, uh, our like theme this year at Glendale, this summer at Glendale was exile. And because of what we're all kind of going through is this sort of exile from our normal or exile from things we would like to be happening. And right. one of the 
one Sunday, I think somebody, one of my pastors talked about like that this key thing that happens with exile and many of the biblical stories about exile is nostalgia for the older time, regardless of like what that pastime was actually like. Yeah. <laughs> like this idea, like why couldn't we, you know, can't we return there? And it's like, do you really, do you really want to return there? <laughs> it wasn't actually that great. <laughs> if if, if then, the only things we're remembering are the good things, then yeah, yeah. And so this like really like guarding ourselves against this nostalgia that can really kind of pull on us when we're in exile. Like instead of yeah, like how do we move forward instead of backward? to what feels comfy. Yeah, no, good stuff. We we didn't really have a summer program. (laughs) I I don't, I don't mean that in a a bad way, but man, our, our church schedule and every, every schedule it seems like we had was just completely messed up and we were just kind of winging it. It seemed like, but are you still um, part of the team with Brian this semester? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to see what happens <laughs> with that. I'm I'm pretty determined to try to do some in-person things, even if that means we have to sit outside very, very far apart. <laughs> yeah. I really don't want all of our, I'm sure we'll do some online events, but I, I hope to be able to make not all of our events descend into the online realm. <laughs> I think... But, Outside and distanced is is safe and yeah okay it, it's as safe as as you, I don't I don't know I I'm very comfortable with that the six feet and outside so yeah yeah me too <laughs> so hope so but as a um young scientist <laughs> do you get as frustrated as I do with the I don't believe in science I don't believe in facts do you is that something you get frustrated with or for sure (laughs) i um yeah i spent a lot of the summer thinking about that and the like determination to not not believe people like when we had this this thing in in nashville over the summer where like our governor was lifting regulations (laughs) and all this stuff and it's like great okay like how do like it, it's so hard for me to fathom like believing you're a person in a place of political power instead of believing public health officials. Right. <laughs> I talked about this with my parents and they said, Well we you know, both of us are public health people, like professionals. <laughs> you grew up listening to us. <laughs> you had no other option. <laughs> so right. um, which is a good point. So it's hard for me to imagine not listening to public health officials. Yeah, I definitely get frustrated. I don't really know if I have anything meaningful to say because I just get really frustrated. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I've seen it a lot longer than you have. I mean, <laughs> That's true. It started way back. It started in the eighties where science was beginning to to be demonized and intellectuals were being sort of put down and dis like alternative science was already a thing back then. I mean, we didn't call it that, but, you know, the, in, in 87, when we were trying to get rid of um, chlorofluorocarbons, these were molecules, I don't know if you remember. Mm-mm. Yeah, in 87, we, these, like hairspray had this accelerant in it, and they were called chloro- mm-hmm. CFCs. And so anything that had like a, an accelerant in a can had these CFCs in it, and they were one of the main things that were depleting the ozone. Oh. 
And so in 87, we, we got, the world got together and banned those. Amazing, I know. We actually could do things back then like that. But, and I don't think they got banned to like 89 or something, but we tried anyway. And they got banned. But even back then, there was a, there was a, a pushback from, you know, of course, big industry. And when your politicians are, are bought and paid for by lobbyists, um, they start spouting the same thing. And I'm just wondering how we have conversations now with people in our circles, in our Facebook groups, our, our families, maybe my extended family certainly has some people that would deny certain scientific theories, facts, whatever. I'm just wondering how we, how we have those conversations. And, and as a young person, do you engage other people that way? Or have you not had the opportunity? Do you avoid it? or? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I it's interesting. I don't. I mean, my grandparents are definitely of a different sort of political order than I am. But but they are generally. I mean, my my grandfather's a, a scientist as well, so he definitely has a lot more belief for that kind of thing. It's interesting. One of my I'm wondering about like recognizing that disbelief for what it is, sort of. Mm-hmm. And like I remember having this conversation with my parents over the summer, and then being like. I think I said something about seatbelts and my parents were like, yeah, I mean, when people started telling us to wear seatbelts, like, nope, people didn't wear seatbelts. Like, <laughs> there was definitely, like, my dad was talking about, like, there's definitely pushback against seatbelts. And, 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 and he said, like, I think that's part of the reason that my dad still doesn't wear a seatbelt, which is true. My grandfather does not wear his seatbelt. Mm-hmm. And I used to always think that it was like, just because he forgot and like the seatbelt thing would ding at him over and over and over and over and over oh. again. I'd say, pop, pop, put on your seatbelt, <laughs> you know? And sometimes he would, because I would bother him enough. But like, you know, and I always thought just because he was stubborn and silly and I don't know, he always likes to give me no. a hard time. So, but yeah. my dad was like, no, I think it's, it's a lot of just like not wanting to listen to anybody and like not believing that he needs to. And so I thought that was interesting. Like me, like, I just like didn't even, like it didn't even cross my mind to think that he wouldn't think that the seatbelt was important. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I, that was just like such a given to me. So I don't know. So kind of like, I guess for myself, like figuring out how I can like, now that I recognize that in my grandfather, maybe that would allow me to have a better conversation with him about the seatbelt <laughs> and not just mm-hmm. yell at him to put on his seatbelt, which I maybe would have done not knowing his thinking behind it. I don't know if that yeah. <laughs> added up or made sense. No, I've heard that analogy too. It's like, we we did that because it made us safer, not because we wanted to restrict your, you know, freedom. freedom in your car. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, my well, my dad was a, a medical doctor and I remember asking him, I don't know how old I was, I remember asking him, Dad, you must believe in evolution, you know, because you're you're a doctor, right? You can't get to where you are without and I said, Well, how do you square that with your with your religion? And he told me, Well, he said he pointed to himself and he said, Well, Evolution gave me this and everything I see around me, and God gave me my soul. Mm. And that's how he, that's how he, did. I mean, I'm sure, you know, I was young and I'm sure he was trying to simplify it for me, but I always thought that yeah. was a very, very beautiful, very beautiful way to put it. I just can't, I just can't with someone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I, 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 I want to be very careful with language too, because I can't, I, 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 I bristle when I hear people say, I don't believe in science. Why don't we leave belief to faith and science to facts and knowledge? <laughs> and you don't believe in facts and knowledge. Facts and knowledge are. So yeah. I always, you know, I always try and, hey, you know, let's not believe in something that, you know, anyway. Have you seen, um, my mom was talking about in my kind of grandparents area near Brevard, my mom was seeing lots of signs that said faith, not fear. And mm. we had some conversations around that, around this idea of like, especially regarding like COVID stuff about how it could be interpreted. Yeah. Like we're scared <laughs> why we're being careful. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, how to have that conversation. Why is your faith incompatible with being careful or yeah or just like having how that changes the conversation knowing that somebody is like viewing being careful as being scared and that being scared as being completely incompatible with having any faith okay i hadn't seen (laughs) faith not fear yeah okay which is, I think, another maybe another kind of thing of like naming or like actually figuring out what it is. Like it's not as much a I'm going to disbelieve this. It's just like this fact is not important. It, it has not been deemed important by me to like important enough to like act upon or like, I don't know. Yeah. My faith is stronger than my fear of the virus. Is that that's what the message was? I, I think so. Yeah. Like this. Yeah. Or this re- like we don't need to be. Afraid. Afraid. Like, because we have faith that God will protect us. Okay. Right. Yeah. And of course, the response to that that I saw somewhere was like, why are you carrying a gun around? <laughs> <laughs> a great question. But yeah. Like, yeah. But I know for like, that's definitely a lot of the rhetoric that like my grandparents were getting, especially, especially around this time when people in their church community are returning to normal and my grandparents are like, no, thank you. <laughs> we do not want to do that. But there's this idea that like, it's because they're scared, you know, not because they're just being careful. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah. Good time. And uh, we'll talk again and have a good rest of the week. And we'll, we'll thank talk you. to you later. You Thanks for listening. For more information on things you heard in the episode, please check out our show notes at circlestories.org. There you will also find archived episodes and can subscribe to, comment on, and review the podcast. Break music provided with permission by David Lamott. Find out more about David and browse his catalog at davidlamott.com. Show music, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Music by Charles H. Gabriel arrangement by Randa Kirschbaum, and performed by Jennifer Wilson. Any sound effects used in the episode are attributed and used under Creative Commons license details available in the show notes. C.S. Lewis said, The next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are.